It's just about minimizing the harms that people expose them to, be that steroids or be that recreational drugs. Let's get into your story in particular. <laughs> You're a pretty big lad, I'm telling you, like the biggest guy I've seen so far. How did you... You must not have seen many guys. I'm just going to throw that out there. No. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by you, the people at Patreon. Thank you for your support. Uh, I think I have a couple of Patreon questions today. We're also brought to you by evalbloodanalysis.com. Get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK. We're brought to you by True Nutrition. <laughs> truenutrition.com use our code think over there for high quality supplements in strom sports nutrition for those of you in the uk lots of great health and performance stuff over there they got some great health stacks especially if you're on cycle dave i've got a surprise to start the show normally we have a topic well guess what <clears throat> you're the topic oh god you're the topic i've gotten some messages from some people okay and they told me something you didn't tell me about. Why did you not tell me about this? David Crossland, a former steroid using bodybuilder, has turned his efforts to harm reduction. So Dave, what oh, do you no. do nowadays? Probably the easiest way yeah. to describe eval is what? It what? The vice bollocks, yeah. yeah. The vice bollocks. When did you record this? God, four or five months ago. No kidding. So... Here's the first thing I see. Here's the first thing I see. You put on a nice shirt. You know, you look presentable here. Like, you look nice. This You got cleaned up really well. Why don't you ever do that for our podcast? Well, the first time, that's a Diamond Theory shirt, which um, I was wearing because I was judging that day. Oh, okay. So, there. Okay. So, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, that that means this shows me that you are you are capable. Like a tramp, you are you are capable of getting cleaned up. I didn't even think that you knew how to put a shirt on. I didn't even think you you knew how to do the work the buttons and stuff. Oh, I know. I have to have help with them. Okay. Well, let's see what this says. I, I'm I'm interested in this testing company for people with alternative lifestyles. It's just about minimizing the harms that people expose them to, be that steroids or be that recreational drugs. Let's get into your story in particular. <laughs> You're a pretty big lad, I'm telling you, like the biggest guy I've seen so far. How did you... You must not have seen many guys. I'm just going to throw that out there. No, I, I, I think there is with a, with, with a tribe of midgets or something. I really do. First get into using steroids. I started steroids at 19. I finished steroids at 24, at which point I was very large not in bad condition, and had the potential to turn pro as a from your movie. And then I, t I tore my left pet completely off. Uh, that sort of ended that, and then I spiraled into depression. The renal specialist basically says I outgrew my kidney's capability of managing my physique. That So they cut something out there, didn't they? Cause they, they cause, cut a lot out there. Yeah, because yeah, you said, you know, you, you used from 19 to 24... And then they're just like, and then you had kidney issues. They're skipping. This is footage right here from, what is this, under construction one or is this two? I think this is one. Okay. So they're skipping this whole era because you obviously, uh, after you tore your pack, how how much later was it before you decided to do like the under construction stuff? So I did 12, 13 years of not training. Then I did three years uh, of training clean before I went on Okay. my first two three cycles coming back and then under construction was only two cycles okay so this is like a <clears throat> two, little two minute segment within a much larger piece they did by the way i didn't really announce that this was like a piece on the steroid epidemic in the uk Seems yeah so i had a i had a long conversation with them prior hand i actually withdrew consent for a few scenes really uh because i didn't trust them um <laughs> and I had a very long conversation with the prior and about misrepresentation. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually, that's the first time I've even seen it. A few people have messaged me about it and just said that it didn't actually come out that bad or I didn't come out that bad on it. Okay. No, but this is good. Having, this is good overall. There, this is only half of it too. There's another minute. Having seen that excerpt, I may actually be dropping them an email about misrepresentation because that is... Yeah, that's cutting it a bit close there to go from, 
you know, up to 24 and then all of a sudden kidney failure. That's not quite the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's see what, the, what else they have to say then. I, see, I assumed you already saw this. So I'm stage four kidney failure. And that'll never get better. Is that a lot of medication? And I was like, a no, whole lifestyle no, no, change? No, 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 really. Uh, not from the kidneys. We've got a lot of medication for the heart failure and the heart attacks, but not from the kidneys. Heart attacks? <laughs> heart, plural heart attacks. <laughs> well, I had a heart an official heart attack, an official myocardial infarction in end of November last year. Do you know anybody who's died because of steroid usage? It's difficult to say that someone's died because of steroids. Are there people that have passed that steroids may have played a significant role in it? Yes, without doubt. You can't OD on steroids. You know what I mean? You can't go and take too many and drop dead. Yeah. It's a time thing. Yeah. It's a constant abuse situation. So what advice would you give to an 18-year-old possibly considering taking steroids? I have people come to me on a weekly basis that I'm telling them they're now testosterone dependent or they're now infertile. And and they're shocked by that revelation. You know, there is risk with these drugs. Learn the risks you're taking and then decide if those risks are worth those rewards. It's good. I, I think overall the message was good. Maybe it was a little bit cut shy there in the 19 to 24 yeah. and then all of a sudden you had kidney failure and heart attacks. But uh, you don't, it, it looks, yeah, I don't know. Good. Uh, Vice used to tackle the subjects nobody wanted to go near, you know, the dirty stuff that they didn't want to. And as time's gone on, they've got more clickbaity. Yeah. Um, and more light-driven. And it, it's a shame because the early stuff they did was really, I suppose you could even regard it as cutting edge. In, yeah, in the oh, way I totally would. You know, and, and stuff that no one else would touch. Did you and see it's the a way? shame they dragged themselves down that road because, to be honest, I've always said, I've said this every time I've worked with the media, that an open and frank discussion about anabolics, being truthful about the risks, but also about the benefits that they pose to a lot of people, would probably attract more traction than a sensationalistic or steroids are going to kill bollocks. Mm. Um you know, are, are there people that may well have been alive today if they hadn't abused anabolics? Yeah, of course there are. But in the same way, there's people with that, you know, alcohol or, or lots of other substance misuses. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to say that anabolics are the sole contributing factor to somebody's passing. But, you know, if we're honest about it, we all know that there's people passed with heart attacks that had a very likelihood of still being alive if they hadn't have used the drugs that they've used. I mean, my health implications are a combination of drug abuse and size. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's no escaping that. I think you. But I think you. Time, you shared that well, though. I mean, at the same time, there's, there's there's people that it's transformed their lives. They they've become better, and I mean bigger, not physically bigger, but bigger in their, you know, their emotional wellness and everything else because they've had more confidence in the way they look because steroids have helped them develop the physique they always wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a bit of a risk there. Confidence being linked to image and, and possibly heading down a carbon path a bit rough there. But there are lots of success stories around anabolics as well as disaster stories. Uh, and it, it's it's a shame that every time you, I mean, I did one with the Guardian years ago. They filmed with us for two and a half days, and they brought out a really balanced piece. And the guys came to us when they started. There was two guys. They came to us when they started. And they were very stereotypical steroid sort of knowledge. You know, oh, you're all idiots, you're all animals, you're all aggressive, you're all true that. And at the end of it, they shook his hands and said, you know what, really nice community, really nice bunch of people, not what we expected, definitely not what we thought anabolics was all about. Yeah. And when it went, when it was edited and, and the editor saw it, he, he refused to, to, it went on, on online, but they refused to put it on until it was more anti-steroid bias. Really? Of course. Yeah, they actually rang me and apologized and said, look, it's out of our hands now. There's nothing we can do about it. Now, they didn't change anything. They just put some of the negative stuff that they dropped out because they knew it was bullshit in. Because yeah. they wanted to sensationalize um, it and paint the narrative yeah. that would 
you know, get the clicks. And I guess that's the thing, man. I mean, who, who really is going to click on a story that's like, hey, this person had a lovely success story. People want to see people fail and make mistakes. And, you know, that's I get it. Yeah, that's that's more of the, the drive and the focus. Yeah, but I, I, do, I do think that because the narrative has always been that, that if someone actually produced a piece that was more balanced and actually had someone saying, you know what, I took steroids and it was a success story for me. <laughs> yeah. That's so unusual to see in the, in the media that that would actually probably attract a lot of debate. Yeah. Because it's I, so against the grain of what we get fed all the time. But it is what it is. But I think I will definitely be dropping an email's advice about uh, that chop. <laughs> okay, well, I, I enjoyed watching it. And like I said, I got a bunch of messages from our listeners who were like, hey, did you see Dave was on Vice? And I, I saw the beginning of it and I was like, oh, I think I've seen this before. And then I realized, no, this is a this is a new video that, that Vice put out. So that's just, that's Aaron now. I generally don't do much these days because by the time I finish with my... Look, you better not misrepresent this shit. And if all you're looking to do is promote this, that, the other, I'm not fucking interested. Yeah. Um, most walk away and say they're not interested. These guys promised a bit more balance, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like they've particularly delivered. Well, you have to see yeah. the rest of it too, and how that fits into the overall narrative they're creating. They had you toward the end, uh, so it was kind of more of like a wrap up type. Yeah, they included you in that wrap up of it. It's like a twenty minute piece, and and you got two minutes of that right toward the end. So they have a guy in the beginning who's wearing like a ski mask and you know pulling out uh, you know his kit and everything in the kitchen, and it, it's, it's kind of dramatic of an opening, you know. That's not a problem. I've still got plenty kicking about. <laughs> Would you do the show with a ski mask on for the future? Because I think we'd get some, you know, it'd be a little more like Vice if we could do that. We both wear ski masks. About that, Bell I Clavis. haven't got one, but we could, we could, yeah, the anonymous podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we do have a bunch of listener questions. Changer, you have to give me a voice changer as well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we've got a bunch of listener questions, um, and and we got a lot of feedback too, and people sharing their own personal experiences from our last episode, which was the trend episode uh, that we anyway, the trend research know, episode. Before we Tim. move on, yeah. I have I have a point to raise. Yes. Well, you forgot, didn't you? What? Oh, that you got older? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Is your birthday? Yeah, where's my present? Is it your yesterday was your birthday? Yeah. Well, happy birthday to you. I didn't it's even get present. a message from you. Right, this, I, is, this is what I work with. I my saw at the end I've of the day. When I was supposed to die. And he's not sending me even a happy birthday message on WhatsApp. Nothing. Congratulations, you made it another year. I didn't think this would happen. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah that's, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. Did you did you do anything for your birthday, or, or are you going to do anything this weekend? Anything like that? Just, uh, I had a I had a I had a rather lay over large whiskey last night, and that was the extent of it. <laughs> Well, watch that whiskey with those kidneys. We we got to keep you around here. That's all I got to say. How's your? And one more question: um, How is uh, your fitness overall? Because we have gotten a lot of comments. Oh yeah, what was this one? If I could find it, I think it was. Uh, oh man, this is a good one too. I I can't find it uh, uh, right now. I'll find it. I'll find it later. But Cornelius Parkin had chimed in. Oh, here it is. He was like, "Hell yeah." Dave is getting ripped for summer. <laughs> Con. I haven't spoken to Con for ages. Yeah. Could do with catching up. He's a good dude. So I have a, a, a topic, a listener question here. And if you guys want to take part in the next show, comment below. This is an interesting one. And I we've never talked about this before. Um, he says... Awesome show. I have a question. I'm a 26-year-old university student. I'm thinking of hopping on my first test cycle. Will anabolics affect my studying? I never heard anyone discuss this topic. Um, FYI, I'm doing master's in architecture. So, from a, from a like first cycle point of view, highly unlikely um may even find it actually benefits him slightly yeah i think um, it will um the research would suggest that long-term high dose exposure would 
actually have a negative impact on cognitive function. I can't say I've particularly seen it pan out in real life from a point of view of I know some very clever people um, and there's some very clever people that you work with who have a long history of using anabolics and it has would appear to have no impact on their cognitive function whatsoever. Um, obviously, everyday people, I do see a lot of mental health issues, but that's not necessarily cognitive. Um, so I would have said in the first part, the lower end of the dosing range would probably be a positive. Yep. If they start moving into nandrolones and, and higher dosing, then there may be some long-term negatives, but nothing that's going to crop up sort of immediately. I would agree with you 100%. You know, when I had Dr. Mike Miltek on, um, he's a neuroscientist, and we talked all about uh, dopamine and its relationship to testosterone. And he said that the, the, um, the drive that we get, the focus that we get while we're on cycle isn't not directly from the steroid itself. It's because uh, testosterone and dopamine have basically, they're, they're linked. There's a, like a one-to-one. -one. So if you increase testosterone, you increase anabolics, then you're increasing dopamine. And, and you know, that's what's giving you that additional drive and that motivation. I know somebody who used a, a female that used low-dose Anavar to, to get through um, her master's degree. Like it, she, she said for sure, there was no question in her mind that it helped her with her focus and it helped her to drive forward. And I can see that. I know personally just just from, from doing a job that requires me to do a lot of thinking, that in the times I had been on cycle, you know, wherever I was in my bodybuilding at the time, I always had been a lot more assertive with my work, a lot more confident with my decisions, um, you know, a, a lot more um, a lot more of an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? I, I had a lot more drive and focus, so there'd be no question. I think you're right, though, that there would be a tipping point. If you get to that point mm -hmm. where, the, the doses start to get too high. You're dealing with a nandrolone or something that's going to maybe mess your mood up. I could see it going the wrong way too, no question. No, I mean, we know nandrolones affect dopamine transport anyway. So True. that would account for there. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's probably better drugs to choose than anabolics if you want to increase your focus. There's a whole world of nootropics that would probably suit <laughs> you a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think in this particular instance, I don't think he's got any major concerns. Yeah. You know, speaking of which, I had talked before about C-Link. Um, I, I, I had gotten that from Amino Asylum. You just go think. And, um, and it worked great. And then I, they were out of stock and I wanted to get more. Uh, the, the key was I could only use it once in a while. I found if I used it day after day after day, I thought like, oh, I'll build it up in my system you know, and use it regularly. If I did that, it started making me feel negative, like detached and less connected to the world, less emotional. But just using it once in a while, maybe I'll use it once every couple of weeks. I could probably use it like two, three times a week if I wanted to. I got a huge positive benefit. So I started using C-Max because they were out of that. And I think it's even better. Like I'll take just, it's a nasal spray and I'll do just one blast of the nasal spray, which I think is 50 micrograms per dose. And it greatly improves my focus. I have a I have a friend who who likes modafinil, um, oh, and yeah. Jesus Christ, when he's on that, it's he's hard to keep up with. Shall we say? Yeah, the, you know what I don't like about that is that long half life. You know, mm. I wanted mm. to I want to be able to shut it off and still be able to go to sleep, but that stuff was kind of made for people who maybe you, you know the places I've heard it being used a lot is like somebody who does in in overnight flight and then they get to their destination and have to go straight to a business meeting then boom you know hit that modafinil and you're good for the rest of the day yeah and obviously research cramming exam cramming that sort of thing it comes into its own a little bit it, it, yeah. it's 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 one that's very easy to abuse uh because yeah. it has a diminishing return the more exposure you have to it which forces the dosing to go up and there is a little bit of a post usage crash if your doses get too high but uh Again, I think it's, it's the answer to a lot of things in life, isn't it? It's not the substance that's the problem. It's the dose or the frequency. Yeah. Uh, if you respect these things, they can definitely be very positive in, in what you're trying to achieve and do, but you've just got to be healthy and not rely on them. 
Yeah, and, and that goes uh, for everything, right? I mean, look at yeah, yeah. I think it's, aspirin, you know. I think as humans, it's an inbuilt flaw of ours that we our ingenuity is based around our desire to make life easier. Um, and as a result, anything that makes our functioning easier tends to get abused. Yeah. All right. Let's see what else we have here. Um, now, this is something you may have seen. Uh, anybody who's just tuning into the show for the first time, uh, Dave has a company, Eval. They do lab work with people, private lab work for people in the UK. And um, you've seen a huge cross-section of people from, obviously, you're focused mainly on uh, bodybuilders, people that are using anabolics, stuff like that. But you've also seen people that are taking like a lot of recreational compounds as well. Yeah, I'd say about 10%, 15% okay. is recreational. So here's a question is, um, how does the liver damage you get from taking orals compared to the liver damage you'd get from regular binge drinking on the weekends? Have you seen people's liver values increase from alcohol? Completely different. Okay. So one of the, so one of the issues with alcohol related liver issues is that you end up with a fatty liver. Yeah. Uh, alcohol affects cholesterol levels quite significantly, um, and it affects the liver in that way. So you end up with fatty liver. You don't get fatty liver from steroid juice. Um, the damage that alcohol does to the liver is, in the most part, much more extreme than anabolics. But anabolics will generally start with creating effectively fibrosis, cysts, lumps, hard lumps. So pretty much all anabolic users will have a developed lumps within their liver. These are generally non-problematic. They're not very often diagnosed as because they don't cause any problems. And they usually discover there is a proper term for it, but I can't, I can't even pronounce it or remember it. Um, but they usually discovered upon the autopsy, as in general autopsy, not because they're specifically looking at the liver because there's a problem. Obviously, orals do cause much, much more liver stress. Uh, and can result in more liver damage. But alcohol is, um, yeah, that's, that's particularly nasty to the liver. So we have an element of alcohol management built into our systems um, because we produce alcohol naturally. We ferment foods in our stomach, we produce alcohol. So we have ADH1 and ADH2, which uh, help us process alcohol. But uh, it doesn't take, it only takes a unit an hour to overload that system. Yeah. Um, so we, we process it about a unit an hour, anything more than that, and we'll start to get alcohol toxicity. Um, but yeah, so different mechanisms, different damage. Obviously, the two together is a really bad combo. Uh, not only from the stress, but also from physical impacts that the two drugs are going to give to you. Um, but yeah, the, I, I, it's it's like saying. You know what's comparable—a broken arm or a broken leg. You know they're just two very different passages of damage, and as a result, the effects are quite different as well. And at the same time, the management of both are quite different as well. Yeah, man, I have some stories from back in the day. You know, before I had gotten into recovery, especially when I was younger, really stupid things I had done. It's amazing that the how resilient the liver is. You know, I, oh, I, mean, you, I can, you've got to go some to fuck your liver. Yeah, you, you've you've really got to give it some shino if you want to damage your liver to the point where it doesn't function properly. I think one of the dumbest things I did was they had these uh, in Canada, these 222s, they were called. And it was the equivalent of a Tylenol with like a, a Tylenol. And so if there's Tylenol 4 and Tylenol 3, this would be like a Tylenol 1, okay? So my logic at the time, I got a bottle of these, and my logic at the time was, okay, so if this has the equivalent of one Tylenol, a quarter of a Tylenol 4, then I need to take four of them to equal, you know, a Tylenol 4. And I want to take three or four of those, because that's what I would normally take. So I took like 20 of them and drank. Yeah, about mix. Oh, dude, it was the worst. Like, I did not feel good, as you can imagine. I remember sitting on a lawn chair, uh, just feeling like this was the biggest mistake ever, and not being able to move because my stomach hurt so bad. Like, everything just hurt so bad. And I didn't feel, like, buzzed in a good way. I just felt like 
I was going out, man. And and to think, you know, that was that was literally 25 years ago now that, you know, looking at my liver today, my liver is in good shape. You know, my ALT, ASC, everything that I've looked at is in range. So, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with my liver today by by the doctor's standards. So and I've had it looked at it, you know, thoroughly, especially after the abuse that I put myself through. So it is amazing what it can with what the human body can withstand but that said man we only get one you know what i mean we only get these organs we only get we don't get replacements you know yeah i've always been very much of the belief that if you're going to stick a poison in your body at least stick to one uh, and i think there's a whole different world of damage done when you start mixing drugs of any nature and that in those in, when i say drugs i include alcohol so yeah uh, um <clears throat> you know, anabolics and alcohol, anabolics and recreational drugs, anabolics, recreational drugs and alcohol is, is a fearsome mix. And your body is pretty good at tolerating a lot of things, but it ain't a miracle worker. And if you, <laughs> you batter it too much, it's going to break. <laughs> yeah. And you got I mean, it comes down to your choices too, like what, or your, your goals, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've worked with people that have a difficulty in discontinuing drinking and they get on good track and then they say oh man i went off the rails and i drank on the weekend and they come back and they you know they don't make progress flat out i have yet to see somebody who can binge drink on the weekends and still reach their goals in fitness yeah it, it's I, I mean it's even more impacting for somebody who's natural the alcohol will reduce testosterone for as much as 50 percent, and it can mm. last for as long as three days even slightly more yeah, and the more frequently you're exposed to alcohol, the more likely you are to have low testosterone from a permanent situation because of the damage it does. Yeah, um, you mix alcohol with exogenous testosterone, and your estrogen levels are going to go through the roof. Mm. So, uh, I mean, besides all the other stresses and impacts that ethanol has on your system, I mean, it, it's effectively a poison. Ethanol is a poison. It's poisonous to the body. It kills things. Um, ethanol is created by yeast. Uh, you you take yeast, you feed it sugar, and it shits out ethanol. And it's a waste product. It gets rid of it because it's toxic to it, and that's what we drink. So technically, when you drink alcohol, you're drinking yeast shit, just in case you wondered. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, it's the dependency factors as well, you know, and that's with any substance. I mean, I've always try to have this attitude that if there's anything in my life I can't stop or I can't abstain from, then I've got a poor relationship with that item. And, and I think we all go through stages of that. And it can be everything from food, chocolate, cakes, alcohol, drugs, music. You know, there's lots of different things that we can become cruxes to us to get through certain sections of our life. Um and it's just a case of recognizing those things and then working on improving the drivers behind that so you no longer need. I mean, you, see, you know, when you put this on a real simple level, the amount of people that are addicted to pre-workout because they use it every time they train and then when sure. they don't work out, they can't, they can't have a decent workout. And it's not like, you know, a caffeine addict. You know, uh, it, it's a real thing. It does do damage. All right. How about this one? Question for the next episode. Does gear ever really expire my understanding is that there's not an issue particularly with it going off as such and it's more that it just degrades to eventually being nothing yeah that, I suppose there's possibly that a carrier oil could downgrade and, or, or become rancid yeah, uh, but the hormone itself just degrades to the point where it's just not active. And that's you know most medications and things like antibiotics are um, going to be an exception uh, that they can turn into poison after time. But uh, yeah, in any medication you have, it's interesting too. I think that here in the U.S., I want to say that we have like a three-year expiration on medications it's two or three years versus you guys have a much further i think europe is five years uh well I, I have some sustenon which is pharma grade that i use for my own trt it's two years out of date okay um i've tested it both ways uh, and it's fine okay no issues with it problems with it 
So there's there's definitely a decent redundancy built in. Yeah. Um, UGL expiry dates. <laughs> yeah. Pick a number and stick it on the vial. Yeah. So there's not really a lot of science behind them. <laughs> and and what they're providing with that expiration date is it's basically an insurance that uh, or an assurance that you are going to get what the label claims that. If this says it's 100 milligrams, that as long as it's within the expiration date, you will get close to that 100 milligrams, uh, give or take, of course, no pill or, you know, anything is exactly perfect. And they are seeing they've they've seen and Andrew Berry was talking about this a few weeks ago. They've seen vast differences from pill to pill in actual firm medications that just because it says that you you might not get exactly what it says and the allowances are kind of crazy but for the most part that's what the expiration is is to say hey this is labeled at 100 milligrams and if it's within the expiration you shall get that uh, or close to it after that we can't guarantee that it's actually going to be 100 you know the key is i think storing it in a cool uh, dark environment you know cool dark environment where it's not going to be encouraged to degrade bit of useless information because it's past history now so isn't really relevant but I, i'm going to bring it up anyway okay so apparently there's been no primo coming out of china for a couple of months really huh and they've only just started supplying it again so anyone that's been on primo for the last couple of months there's a strong chance you weren't Depending on what kind of supply somebody had, because it's depends on what sort of stock. But most UGLs don't carry two months worth of stock. Uh, but it is back available now, so hmm. uh, Primo should back, be back in stock at your friendly suppliers within the week. Use code Think at ten percent. No, just kidding. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see what else we have here. That that uh, I told you about my um, injectable D ball experiment. That that D ball like expired in two thousand nineteen. Uh, I think I want to. I think I bought it in 2015. So I mean, it's it's been kicking around. It started crashing, and that's when I reconstituted it and said, "Yep, I'm going to start using this now." I still have a little bit left. It's a one, you know, 10 milliliter vial, and it's still I still have some left. Uh, probably a good couple weeks left because I'm only using a tiny bit at a time. Uh, and it's working. If Scott dies in the next couple of weeks and grows a third head, we know why. You'll know why, yeah. <coughs> Dave, what's your opinion on using Testagel for TRT as opposed to injections? Everyone seems to um, badmouth uh, Testagel, saying it's garbage. But it's all my GP will prescribe. I don't really want to go the UGL route. Thanks, pal. It works. Um, yeah. From a point of view of replicating natural levels, it's probably the closest you're going to get to doing that because it's daily application, um, morning spikes and all the rest of it. Um, some people struggle from an absorption point of view. I, it's not the most bioavailable way of putting drugs into your system. So if you want to put a substance in your system, IV, IM, topical, that's the scale of impact. So yeah. IV... It's effective. I am secondary, topical third. Having said that, I actually did a set of bloods yesterday on someone who is on Tetrogel. Okay. And they were taking 120 milligrams a week of Testogel. No, a day of Testogel, sorry. Um, and their levels were 40 N mole, which is probably about 1300 NGDL. Um, so. It was very overly effective for them, and we recommended reducing the dose a little bit. Okay. So, yeah, it, it can work. You might yeah. need quite a bit, but it can work. Um, some people find it very inconvenient. Uh, you've got to remember, though, that while it's on the skin, it can pass from you to other people. Yeah. So just no, no putting it on and then canoodling with the missus. <laughs> Unless she has low test, then you you know get that, get that corrected. Um, Unless she's in position. The other thing I I remember um, seeing with this is that it does not it does not necessarily have the same um, cause the same issues with hematocrit that the long esters tend to cause, right? Well, yeah, and it's to do from far as I can work out, it's to do with peaks and troughs. Yeah. So because 
when we do a gel, we get this natural ebb and flow that you would not naturally get. When you do uh, a long ester, you get this peak and plateau and then gradual drop off. And that's the problem that causes issues with hematocrit and hemoglobin because you're not getting that daily dip and rise. So as a result, on average, your elevation of hormones is higher for longer than it would be with a daily application. Yeah. Um, so we've had this move towards being more stable, more injections, more frequent, breaking things down into multiple shots. Uh, and that can be beneficial to people in the right environment. But like everything in our industry, if it's good for one thing, it gets shoehorned into everything. Yeah. And that's not necessarily going to be suitable for TRT. Um, because your peaks and troughs are not going to be huge anyway. So you shouldn't be really fighting with any major problems. Some people are super sensitive, but um, that that up and down, rather than that stability, actually will lower the, the thickening of, of blood and lowering a HDL because you've got a less total overall exposure to androgens. Yeah. And, you're, you know, if you're doing a long ester and you're doing, say, every day, uh, administration it's not as if you're ever getting a, a real trough you're just i think that you, you the one of the reasons people do that is that uh, reduced uh, estrogen issues there is going to be if you do say mm -hmm. like say the extreme yeah you do like a one time a week shot for instance then you're going to get a peak and it is going to come down and with that you're going to get higher estrogen but every day you just go up a little bit and then up a little bit and then up a little bit, it, but it's level. It's up a little bit and then level and then level. And you're just, you know, until you get to your, your peak, you know, your your, your peak plasma yeah, levels. You, but. You, to your plasma stability, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's um, in order for a single shot application to have a decent level at the end of the week, it has to be quite high at the beginning of the week. Yeah. And because it's high at the beginning of the week, that triggers a higher conversion of estrogen. So from a point of view of actual hormone level management and administration, on paper, gel's a good idea. Uh, but it's also not always practical. And like I say, absorption can be a big issue for a lot of people. Let's see what else we have uh, here. Yeah, you can mess with prop, but prop's still a, still a longer half-life than gel. <laughs> yeah. Substantially longer half-life than gel. I remember I had these uh, troche um, applications. It was like this little puck that you would stick to your gum in your mouth. Have you ever seen those? No, I've never seen those. I'll, I'll find them for you because I still have a I still have a few left, and it's just basically like this little puck, and then it, right. it would be sublingual, and uh, it just sticks to the inside of your mouth. Once it adheres, it just stays there, and you just leave it on your gum right. all day. I think you need to take a picture of your leftover drug supplies. <laughs> because you seem to have something left of every single thing on the planet. <laughs> I need a wide-angle lens. I get of this huge chest that you open up, and there's just lots of... No, it's a, it's a little box, but every time I get it, it's a little box of a few odds and ends. There's like probably like 2D ball and one anadrol, you know what I mean? Half a vial of trend. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that I, I probably should throw out. Probably a couple bottles of stuff that wasn't good, but I never threw it out. I just put it in the box, you know? You know, it's, it's a weird thing about steroid users. We are kleptomaniacs. When it, we don't <laughs> throw shit away. You know what I wish I still we had, keep, though? We will keep vials with quarter of a million because there's, yeah. there's still some in there. We're keeping that. You yeah, never know. You never know, Dave. I use drugs. <laughs> I wish I still had like the original box from like the Napason D ball and or stuff early in the day. You know what I mean? I'd love to still have that box available and just pull it out. Yeah, I think historically they would be interesting packages. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I uh, see. We did have a few people on the live stream here that commented. I think we had a couple questions, but I will get back to them. See if we see what if we else we have here. There's the liver damage question. Um, what about this one? Love to hear you guys' thoughts on taking a TRT injection break for four to six weeks of 10 milligrams of D-ball and 20 to 25 to 50 of uh, VAR every day. So he's going to stop all, all of his TRT and instead start an oral cycle, low-dose oral cycle, basically. Well, 
I don't see any benefit to it, um, apart from it just gives you a break from injecting, but I don't think you're going to suffer unduly because of it either. Yeah. Um, I mean, 50 mg of hour a day is probably going to push you from an androgen load point of view, super pharmacological. Yeah. Uh, for a very short period of time, if it's done in a single dose, uh, obviously you're not going to see viral blood. Um, and the d is is quite low dose as well, but at least you'll get some estrogen off that. But four to six weeks is is definitely within the time scale that we expect of estrogen levels to to survive to some extent, or at least they'll get to a point where they're starting to have a huge negative impact. Uh, I definitely wouldn't run any longer because normally when you do an anabolic cycle in a natural, you've probably got six weeks plus before they're even shut down. Yeah. Doses are incredibly high, but if you're coming off TRT, you are already shut down, so you're only going to have the estrogen sustained for three weeks, maybe four at a push, and then you're going to go into a period of no estrogen whatsoever production, particularly when you've got VAR. Um, but obviously, a little bit of debug will help with that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm a bit confused as to the motivation. Yeah, but I don't see there being anything in that that's, that's particularly risky. Do you hear, speaking of Anivar, that, um, so they do prescription oxandrolone here in the U.S., or I should say they did, but they decided they're no longer mm -hmm. going to allow that, that it has been disapproved at this point in the U.S. Yeah, there was, a couple of years ago, there was an FDA initiative to start to try and reduce the freedom that TRT clinics had. Yeah. In, in the way of, of prescription because they felt that the, there were several compounds that were being technically misprescribed. Do you hear too, along with that, the new one is the peptides that a lot of the research companies have been selling BPC, IPAM, CJC, compound uh, TB500, all those things, although they are not FDA approved, um, they have been compounding them and they're no longer going to, to let them do that anymore so those things are getting pulled off the table i don't know if that's a bad thing honestly i i, I don't i mean bp I, and part of it is okay so bpc and tb i think they can be beneficial um the gh releasing peptides i have seen and here's the deal guys i'm not represented in any way by a trt company i can speak freely because of that you know, as can you, Dave, there are people out there that aren't in that position. They have a relationship to one of the TRT brands. And I've specifically gone out of my way to not do that because I do want to be able to speak freely on some of this stuff. And one of the things is that just about everybody I know who's gotten a prescription for test from one of the clinics has also been encouraged to improve their GH levels. But they, they don't prescribe GH because of the cost. Instead, they've been able to then get people who, guy under 30, say, who doesn't have a lot of money and he's paying, you know, whatever a month for this service. They're tacking on these add-ons of CJC, of IPAM, you know, to try to, you know, I think, it's just an an add-on sale, in my opinion. Yeah, very much so, and it's definitely an American model. Is that um, at the end of the day, we're happy because we're getting more drugs. We don't see the fact that actually they're happy because they're selling us more drugs. Um, it's something that over here is much more tightly regulated. And the, the thing is, over here, peptides are not in any way legal. Um, they're, they're what they call a gray product. It's not licensed for sale. Um, they do tend to clamp down on them, or they can clamp down on them quite heavy. There has been a couple of guys gone to prison for peptide sales. And yet you go out and sort of Germany and mainland Europe, and, and they've got a completely different attitude to peptides. What do you mean? How so? They're even looking into them in medical scenarios. What do you, like, okay? Like they're so applying they'll them? Look at, well, so they'll, they'll look at, so BPC uh, helps with the treatment of Crohn's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Administrate orally. Uh, they've looked at um, melanotan for people with light sensitive skin. Um, so you find that in Europe, there's there's much more genuine medical application to peptides within the treatment of illness and disease. Yeah. It's something that it doesn't even recognise in the slightest. Like I said, they're, they're currently a, a non-licensed product. Yeah. Um, so it, it is 
it's a weird situation because it's it is illegal to sell them um but it's not illegal to possess them similar to the anabolics okay but you can sell them for research but you can't sell them for personal use yeah so the 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 criminality it's not even really criminal it's a trading standards issue um but the the element of wrongdoing is around the fact that you market them for human use yeah have so you, you, if I sell you peptides, I don't in any way recommend them for human use, and I, I can prove that, which is difficult to do, a lot more, more, more difficult than people think. Um, as a, as then, an expert uh, witness in the British court system, have you um, had any cases that related to peptides? Not solely. Uh, okay. Secondary, yes. Um, the problem is that everyone seems to think, oh, if I sell peptides and I put not for human consumption on the page... That that exempts me from any prosecution, and it's like no, not when you've then listed all the benefits they cause to a human being. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you can't say, yeah, yeah. TB TB five hundred lowers inflammation, muscular injury repair, tendon repair. This da, 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 da. Hang on a minute, you can't just then say well, it's not for human consumption when you've just listed all the benefits to a human. <laughs> if you but if you take it, it'll do these things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's where a lot of them fall foul because they don't they 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 market them one way, but think that that little clause of not for human consumption exempts them from everything. And does it? Hell, is like the legal system's not that stupid. I'm kind of torn on the the legal system here, getting rid of the peptides because I I do think that there are great ones. I do think I would I think that there is you know applications for some of this stuff especially like tb 500 bpc 157 so i i i hate to see the government regulating anything further i really don't like government regulation period but at the same time on that other side just from that sales point of view of seeing people buying this stuff when they really weren't interested in it to begin with just being upsold I, that part i don't like I, I guess I guess I would take the upselling though over the government regulating it further. If I had to pick one, I would take the upselling. I, I think it's. I think out of them, the, the former secretaries and BP BB show the most promise as peptides that have a really good real world impact. Yeah, uh, and I, I think it's a shame that they aren't getting further on in in being classified as open for use so to speak because that we've all know people that have used them and benefited them i've benefited them yeah, from, from point of view uh, and i do think they have much much greater use uh there is a lot like the follister and then that sort of crap that just isn't worth the fucking vial it comes in and it's, it's just complete con um yeah get rid of all that shite but the stuff that has has a lot of data behind it and has a lot of research behind it that is is proven to be beneficial, I think we should be pushing more to see that more freely available, definitely. I talked to somebody over the weekend and I, I can't mention their name. I'll tell you I'll tell you after the show if you're interested in knowing. But he went to a clinic for a guy and there's another guy who is a doctor uh, working out of Columbia that was at Swiss. And I spoke to somebody that was his patient and he came down and he did, he's been getting, I think he said two of them now of these folostatin treatments. I don't think it's this folostatin that, that we are getting um, from uh, research chem sites. He said that the next day, the inflammation is absolutely incredible. You don't feel good at first that he said that there's like an incredible amount of inflammation he said but he in, he found he had greatly improved mental clarity and now he's had his wife do it too so my stand inhibitors currently in my stand inhibitors are live bio drugs so they're they're living things they're harvested from my spleens the antibodies are um there's not one that successfully just switches off muscle tissue yeah. So they do switch off the tissue, but they switch off other things. So the, these rumors about some pro bodybuilders potentially having used them could could very well be true. It's about ten thousand pound, ten thousand dollars for uh, for a myostatin treatment. My understanding is that similar to proper IGF one treatment is it hurts a lot. <laughs> That's what he was saying, and it's a very unpleasant process to go through. Yeah. 
It's the same with IGF-1. When you get people that are dosing IGF-1 correctly medically, they usually complain of being in quite a lot of muscular pain. I forget what he said it was called, but he also did this. Um, it was a um, umbilical stem cell depot type thing where they, they he said they freeze your mm -hmm. stomach up and then they basically do a sub-Q shot with an 18-gauge needle, creating this basically implant that slowly releases over the next four months. And you'll feel that lump in there for the next four months until it until it breaks itself down. Stem cells not something I know a lot about, I must admit. It's something I'm way behind on. Um, I, I wouldn't really be surprised if it could be helpful for you, you know, to help regenerate things. I wonder if it could yeah, be beneficial no, for your kidneys, you know? I know someone who went for stem cell for kidney failure. Um, it didn't help them in particular, and I'm not rubbishing it and saying it won't. Yeah. But the hair grew back, apparently. Really? Really? <laughs> so they got full head of hair, but still a knackered kidney. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just expensive, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. some, some of the prices I've been quoted, 15000 20000 It can be um, expensive. I, I, yeah, I think you get it for less than that. But it depends on how much you get and how often you go, you know? Um, it does. Yes. And it, th there's uh, a lot of variants too. Like here in the U.S., we uh, we don't have the same stem cells as they uh, as they do in uh, Mexico, for instance, where we have a law against expanding cells. So we have uh, you know what cells are available from the the umbilical cord. Now mm -hmm. they will synthesize those. They'll replicate them. They'll grow them in a dish, yeah, they'll, they'll and then you get a lot it. more um, in Mexico. And then if you go to places like Panama, they actually draw it from your marrow, and then you go sit on the beach for five days while they replicate those cells, and then they pump them back in. Hmm. <laughs> so I think it depends where you're going. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's see if we got anything else here. We can knock through before we wrap this thing up and i have a good topic for for next week by the way i should tell you about um okay thinking about uh this big picture planning let's see question for the next show two parts power lifter with higher body fat um has a lot of muscle but wants to look better and be more jacked training for 10 plus years hard and um has a couple basic supplement cycles um what would you and Dave suggest for a cutting cycle of uh, 10 to 12 weeks and then maintain? Then eight, uh, he said eight to 12, sorry. Then eight to 12 more weeks cutting in May and June, part two. In your opinion, could you push uh, fat loss harder on quote supplements and keep the uh, more muscle, um, say uh, even aiming for two to three pounds a week of fat loss? I, I'm going to have a very unpopular opinion here. I uh -oh. think if you're trying to get body fat levels sort of 10, 11, 12% or above, and then you don't actually get an anabolic cycle whatsoever, um, I've, I very much doubt that the muscle tissue is going to be in much risk at all. Having and two to three pound a week is not an extortionate amount to push for. Um, that's not to say you can't run a cycle and you can definitely run a cycle and you could definitely push diet harder if you were on a cycle because you'd have that protection of the muscle tissue but it's definitely not necessary um when you start going sub 10 11 12 so you start getting close to the single digit stuff then the risk of muscle tissue does increase quite substantially yeah because now your body is looking at getting into self-preservation areas and it will drop muscle tissue very, very quickly if it feels overly threatened. That's when anabolics really come into their own. So depending on where you are, body fat levels, you could potentially do your first part cut with no anabolics whatsoever, and then do your second part cut if you're wanting to get down to lower numbers with anabolics. I don't think you need them for both. But by all means, that doesn't mean you can't. It's down to you at the end of the day. When I hear somebody talking about fear of muscle loss while cutting, especially somebody who's coming from a powerlifting background, honestly, I, I hear permabulker. I'm going to be completely honest, and I mean that, no disrespect to the guy, but that's what I hear. You have to be completely unafraid 
when you cut. And you have to just say, hey, I want to get as lean as possible. I guarantee you, I'm with you, Dave, you're not going to lose muscle. You know, it takes a lot. Here's where I've seen the risk of actually like losing muscle is that when you are super lean, the food's already low, the cardio is already high. And then in order to get lean, you still need to push further. So let's say you're on a keto diet and you're doing an hour and a half of cardio, you're on T3, you're on clean, and now you've gotten to, let's say, 6%, which is super, super lean, leaner than most people think. Like 6% is freaking incredibly lean, and now you want to get to 5 What are we going to have to do? Your fats, let's say you're doing modified keto, fats are already low, protein is, you know, on the higher end, and let's say the only option we have now is to remove another 15 grams of fat and drop all your protein by one ounce. And increase another 10 minutes of cardio we do all those things now you might be at the risk but if you're already if you're holding a lot of fat and you're just cutting out a cup of rice you know if you have any carbs left in the plan i guarantee you're not going to lose muscle for a really really long time it's hard to do especially for a guy who's trained hard in powerlifting. he's been doing it for a decade plus he built that muscle it's not going anywhere i think the other problem is that you may potentially see a loss in strength or a, or, or a temporary loss in strength. Absolutely. Uh, and that straight away sends alarm bells and panicking that you're losing muscle when it's not. You're on a diet. You know, your body needs to adapt to working with much lower levels of calories. Um, you're, not, you're not particularly losing muscle at all. Um, but we do panic. And being a permabulker myself, I, I understand that, you know, you go in the gym and your strength's down for a couple of sessions and, and next thing you know, you're going home and emptying a tub of ice cream because you think, shit, shit, I'm losing loads of size, I need to put the food back up. Yeah. And, yeah. and unfortunately, you, the other thing is, any muscle you do lose, let's just say, let's for, for devil's advocate, you do lose some muscle. Yeah. As soon as you bring the food back up, and particularly if you touch anabolics, it's coming back straight away. So, you know, so it's nothing they- you can fix. Now, I would say if you lose muscle, if you truly lose muscle, then it doesn't come back. But that's a different thing than what you're talking about. You're talking about just going flat. And that's the mistake people make is they they see themselves shrinking down. Their clothes don't fit as well anymore. And the analogy I always use is that muscle is a lot like the sponge that I have for washing my car out in the garage. Not that I wash my car a lot, but when I was a kid, every Saturday I'd wash my car. And here in Michigan, you could only do that for several months because it was too damn cold the rest of the year. So that first year, or the first time I'd wash my car in the spring, uh, I'd take that sponge out and it's all dried up and shrunken down and I'd sink it into the water and guess what? It pops right back out. And I have to stick it back in there. It sits in for a few minutes and then it kind of fills out more and the sponge looks bigger. I swear that's what our muscle is doing. If you diet and diet and diet really hard, that muscle will become resistant to filling back out. That's why guys, you know, what I try to do is get them ready a month early and then slowly add the food back in so that they're not in that position where it's the the first car wash of the season because the next week after that first car wash the sponge isn't completely dried out and it immediately absorbs water again so i'm telling you that like but if you really do lose muscle i did do it once it was hard to get back man because i truly did lose muscle but it was my intention like i said hey i don't care how lean i get i competed at like 195 194 195 and i was i could have been maybe a little bit leaner. It could have been probably 190, but the next year I dieted down to 190 and I said, you know what? F it. I'm going to keep going. I don't care how, how, uh, how much I lose. I want to see what happens. And I dieted down and I competed at 181. I lost muscle. It took me like six months to actually fill back out. It just, it wasn't there anymore, you know, but I mean, it was it was a starvation diet to do what I did. I was absolutely peeled, but it was true. It was true muscle loss, and, and I think you have to really go out of your way to make that happen. Otherwise, it's gonna come back. Like you said, you eat and it comes back. That was just muscle flatness, just in my opinion yeah. and experience. No, I get that, but I, I, in my experience, I've found the regain above and beyond the, the flatness. I found the regain to not be that difficult as long as you've not sustained that tissue loss for an extended period of time, it will come back quite quickly. It's the same reverse when you're trying to lose fat. If you diet down and then go back up to food, you'll gain that fat back very, very quickly because your body's just trying to get back to where it was because yeah. that's what it knows. 
if you've stayed lean and down for an extended period of time, then granted, yeah, I could see it being a harder job to uh, to bring it back. And that fullness, that's where we think, like, you know, we go real, real flat, and that's where people get scared. And then, mm-hmm. like you said, they go back to, you know, they got to eat a bunch of junk food to, you know, fill it back out. When in reality, if you can do that, it wasn't really muscle loss, you know? It was just... No. It was just fullness. The sponge just was, dried out, you know? It was just water and glycogen, yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's all we had here. Um, Alfonso had one question for us. He said, uh, any thoughts on uh, uh, work, life, stress, on body fat? Notice that I'm down three to four pounds without really changing my diet. Um, my strength is about the same, but the stress has been up lately. Um, do you think higher stress leads to higher caloric expenditure? Yes. Yeah. Not only that, but also a reduction in, in nutritional absorption as well. Mm. Yeah. Stomachs are heavily linked to stress. If you are overstressed, you are strong, have a strong chance of not absorbing nutrients as well. Your sleep will potentially be affected. You don't recover as well. Hydration's so yes. off. You know, all yeah. of that leads to poor the, hydration. Stress is a progress killer. Absolute progress killer. Um, I've never, we did the, the episode a couple of weeks ago about lining your ducks up before you go on a cycle. And there yeah. are people that cycles that have major stressful events coming up in three, four weeks' time. It's like, why? Just wait. Get that out of the way, then start your cycle. Because stress is a huge, huge progress killer. Massive. I never paid a lot of attention to electrolytes in the past. I always just thought, put some, put some sea salt on it, pink sea salt, you're fine. Victoria had introduced me to Ultima, which is a, a good electrolyte blend. Uh, you can get it from Amazon or whatever. And the nice thing about it is it doesn't have a lot of sodium in it. A lot of them have a lot of sodium, but we're getting plenty of sodium if you're eating a bodybuilder diet and you're eating food as a normal guy does for bodybuilding and we're adding you know condiments and sodium to our food. So you don't need a lot of extra sodium, but we burn through those electrolytes. We burn through our water it's harder to stay hydrated. Getting those electrolytes in there during stressful times does make a difference and it it does improve your ability to, you know, keep your water balance where you want it. So that's something I've done with people, especially women when they're under stress, maybe she's a nurse and she's working these 12 hour shifts. If you get some electrolytes in there, I think it does help to kind of maintain where we want to be a little bit better. No, water and electrolyte balance is incredibly important. Probably more so than we all give it credit for, I think, to be honest. I wish I would have known sooner, man, because I would like work real hard and then go to the gym and having sweat out all my fluids and then try to train legs. Had I mm-hmm. been better hydrated and used something like an electrolyte to and, help and me that, keep the water up, it would be better. A lot of people will sweat hard and they'll drink plenty of fluids, but what they don't do is put the salts in. Yeah. So we have this washout effect where we've lost salts and electrolytes through sweat. Right. Not replacing them, but by adding high amounts of fluid, we're actually flushing what's left further out of the system. Yeah. Because that water's not getting absorbed because there's no salts and electrolyte to help it pavel into the, the cell. So it flushes through. Exactly. Um, and, and sometimes you're actually doing more harm than good by pushing the water really high if you don't have the salts and electrolyte in it. Yeah. Hey, we did get a question about Zach Khan. Somebody said you guys should bring Zach Khan back on. Uh, they loved the episode that we had with him, and they they loved your interaction with Zach. Uh, so I just figured out the well, out there. I've, I've had a conversation with Zach, and it's it, it, today, and all it's it, it's um, consisted of is sending um, Instagram reels that abuse each other and calling each other. Various swear words and names, and that's that the whole right. entire conversation. There's just been nothing else of any quality to it whatsoever. He said, uh, "The guy is hilarious, and the chemistry between him and Dave is great. That's what they like to see. You guys abuse each other. It's we do that, all right, but we do it privately as well. It's definitely not something that you put on this show. No, of course, you guys are just being yourselves here. That's what it comes down to. Um, yeah. Are you doing any uh, any pillars of strength coming up, or what's going on with that right now? So we're, we go into week five this week. It's been a little bit disrupted for various reasons. Okay. So there's just weeks left. I'm not going to get one in before Christmas. I, I would potentially run one half before and half after Christmas if people were interested, but otherwise it's probably going to be the new year. Um, I've started doing another angle to coaching, which I'm oh. actually quite enjoying. 
Yeah. So I'm doing coach. I'm doing coach support. Okay. So for coaches that don't have a huge amount of blood or drug knowledge, ah. obviously they're going to get clients that are coming to them that do want to do cycles. Um, they're turning away those clients because they don't have the knowledge to deal with them or they may be a bit nervous about dealing with them or they may even be giving them poor advice. So what I offer now is basically a backup system for coaches whose knowledge around those subjects isn't great where we tackle those clients together and nice. in that process coach learns about what's going on yeah. and the client so obviously the client doesn't know i'm in the background okay unless the coach unless the coach wants to tell them but otherwise the coach is getting the credit for the information yeah uh coach learns in the process and and it, it gives them uh, a broader scope of the marketplace that they can work with it okay that's a great idea, man. And it, you know, it, it reaches your end goal too of helping people stay safer. Yeah, it's, I actually probably enjoy it slightly more than regular coaching because it's more varied and it's not as in depth with each individual person, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I do. I quite enjoy it. I've, I've, I've done it for, I've done it for a few people for a couple of years, but never really looked at it as a service. Yeah. I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Or, but there's, 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 there's probably half a dozen that that will message me, not regularly, but occasionally. Some more regularly. And then a couple of years ago, I had a guy that started doing it very regular with me, but he only does it in comp prep for his clients in comp prep. So I just do six months with him every year. Okay. Um, and then a few more people started to join that. And and yeah, you know, it, it seems to work well. How does that work then, like financially? Are you charging month to month or a one-time yeah. consultation? Or how? It's, so it's a month to month fee. Um, so what happens is you get a check-in day. Um, there's two ways of doing it. So one of them every week will send me five or six clients that he's particularly interested in. I'll okay. get their check-in pictures. I'll get what he's planning to do. And I just offer an opposing opinion or, or add to that. And if I think he's got it spot on, I say, I think you've got it spot on. Yeah. Or the other one, there's another one that will send me ad hoc. So it'll be, right, I've got this client this week. He's wanting to do this. Or he's just had these bloods done. Can you read these bloods for me? Or he's just done this. Can you look at that for me? And so it's more ad hoc. So it depends on how the coach wants to set it up. It can be a formulated weekly check-in where they send me a number of clients. Or it can just be, I've got a client with this problem, that problem, or the other problem, I'm struggling with it. What do you think? Yeah. I think that's so great, that's man. Stuff. It's that sort of stuff. And how do people reach out to you for that? Usual, just message me through socials, either Instagram or Facebook. If you, If somebody just wanted to hire you just for the drug side of things, do you yeah. work with anybody like that? Where like, Because I've had people who reach out and they're like, hey, I don't really, you know, the, well, the way they usually word it is, I got my diet and my training all situated. I'm perfect on that, you know? Yeah, everybody's the best trainer in the world, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I do I do drug and health management. Uh, I do standalone cycles, and then I do drug and health management as a monthly, depending on what people want. Some people just want that safety net. Some people, and they, they get weekly check-ins, same as any other client. Uh, some people are fairly comfortable with the use. They just want a cycle design. Others would rather have someone in the background saying, right, have you done this? Have you done that? This is what we need to do this week. This is what we need to do last week. Um, so it just depends on the person. Um, some people see it as a good investment just because it's not a huge rate. And some, some people just see it as a good investment just to have that background of, you know, if there's got any questions, I can just message Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, leave questions for the next episode. And, uh, you know, reach out to Dave. I'll have his social media and my email, McNallyDiets at gmail.com down below. EvalBloodAnalysis.com, SupplementSource.ca for Canadians. Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Lots of great health and performance supplements there. TrueNutrition.com. Use our code THINK. And, of course, uh, thank you to everybody from Patreon. You guys are awesome. For another episode of the podcast. With Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. You nearly said that then. You what? You nearly said that then. <laughs> I did, almost. Almost. <laughs>